Galatians chapter 6, verse 11. Notice what large letters I use as I write this, these closing words in my own handwriting. Those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for, for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. And even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. And the world's interest in me has also died. It does not matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. From now on, don't let anyone trouble me with these things for I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. Dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. This is it. After today, we are done preaching through this book. And hopefully while we are done preaching through this book, like I said, Galatians is not done with you. I was reading about Billy Graham this week. Not, not really so much um, about Billy Graham, per se. Picture of Billy. Yeah, there he is. Good old Billy. Not, not so much the, about Billy, but about the aftermath of when Billy would come to town. Right? So Billy would come to town, and and he would do his thing, and, and all these people would come, and they would, all of a sudden there was this new interest in spirituality, and many people gave their life to Jesus, and, you know, that was kind of what was happening. You guys all know the Crusades that he did. Well, what happened is then Billy would leave town, all these people are new to faith and, or have questions about faith or whatever, and so all these other people then would kind of swoop in, and they would start knocking on doors. And they would start preaching their own version of the gospel. Right? The one that isn't really true. The one that had some, some things added and taken away. And things that were just not... Well, number one, it's not what Billy had been talking about. It's not what the Bible talks about. And they wait for, to, for everyone to get excited about Jesus and then go knock on the doors and then, then they would steal them. And it's sick. But that's the way that false teachers, that's the way that heretics work. They wait for you to do the work and then they try and steal the people that you've gotten excited about Jesus. And that is exactly what Paul is dealing with here in Galatians. Paul came in, he started something beautiful, he started this church, things were going well, he left to start another church, and then all these false teachers, all these heretics swept in and started twisting and manipulating the people of Galatia. 
So that's what Paul's been showing this entire letter to the Galatian church. It's as if the whole letter he has been saying, notice what these people have done. They waited for me to leave and are now taking something that I started, something that was beautiful, and now they're going door to door and twisting and perverting everything that we have built up. People of Galatia, don't let them do it. Don't let them do it. I like how it, it, right off the bat, Paul says, it's just this, fun, this weird phrase, right? I like, see, he says, see how big I'm writing these letters with my own hand? Does anybody think that was kind of weird? Well, I got a picture of a, um, a letter from one of our missionaries, LATM, you know, they've come and visited here before. And so they, they give this letter, right, they write this letter, and it's typed, and it's nice, but then what do they do at the very end? They sign it, and they write a little note, right? That's what's going on here, right? That is what is happening here. Paul's like, okay, I've written this, and, 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 and um, what we know is that sometimes Paul dictated things, right? But then Paul says, now listen, look how, look how big I'm writing in my own handwriting, right? He's, he's bringing attention to the fact, like, this is me. This is not somebody else. This is me. These are my direct words. This is what I have to say to you. Here is what is the climax, the, 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 the gist of it all. And I'm going to write this to you in my own big handwriting. Don't let them drag you into some twisted hybrid, some mangling of the old ways and the new. Instead, remember what I have told you from the beginning. Remember that because of Jesus, there is a better way, a new way. And that you are now people of the new covenant, not the old covenant. People that are no longer buried under the law, but instead you are now freed by the euangelion. The euangelion is the, is the Greek word for good news. And what is that good news? That good news is the kingdom of God is here. That Jesus has come and that through him we have been set free. And that God has adopted all of us who claim Jesus as Lord and Savior, to become the new people of God. So finally this morning, Paul is instructing the Galatians what it is and what it looks like to be the new people of God. What the new people of God look like. And church, that's us. We are the new people of God. So we need to look like what Paul tells us. So here's what the new people of God look like. This is going to be really simple and basic, but it's, it's, it's a great reminder. Number one, the new people of God die to self. Verse 12 and 13, those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. 
And even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. I don't know if you've been paying attention to what's been going on in, in Afghanistan this week, but it's, it's horrendous. It's heartbreaking. I hardly ever share anything on my Facebook page. I'm just, I, I, I go and I, I do church stuff on, my Facebook, on Facebook and, and I, I'll, I'll read what some friends and family are, are posting or whatever, but I don't, I don't post much. But I shared a video this week of a mom handing her child to a Marine. And the Marine just kind of jerks the kid up and, and, and hands him to another Marine. And it broke my heart. What would it take for you to give away your kid? Well, you're pretty convinced that that kid is dead if he is if you keep him right so you do what's best and you give away that child i since have read i since have found out that 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 child was actually reunited with his parents in the airport and they got out which is amazing but like that still remains this this parent was willing to give their child away to keep them safe I read reports that the Taliban are going door to door in Afghanistan. And they are demanding people's phones. And if you have a Bible app on your phone, they execute you right there. Heartbreaking. And church, I want you to understand something. That is real persecution. That is real persecution. I'm not talking about tearing down statues or taking down the Ten Commandments from a courthouse or anything else that we point out and say, look, look, it's persecution, it's persecution. This is real persecution. And Paul says, consider it joy when you were persecuted for Christ. We must be very careful who we are fighting, why we are fighting them, and if really if what I, we are fighting is really worth fighting for. Paul here in verses 12 and 13 says that we must fight the temptation to call every stupid thing, every political issue. That we, like we just, we just say, oh, look, we're being persecuted. We're being... Stop with that. Paul is saying here that true persecution truly is being persecuted for teaching that the cross of the cross of Christ alone can save. That is what it gets you persecuted. Paul says here, look, look at all these false teachers. They don't want to teach that message. They don't want to teach the message of the cross. They don't want to teach the message of Jesus and that he came and he died. For us, they don't want to teach that message. They don't want to teach the message that only the cross of Jesus can save us. 
Instead, they're compromising. They're trying to blend the old and the new so as not to make anybody angry. And yes, while people may like the sound of what they're hearing, and they're doing well at getting, they're appeasing both sides, they're forgetting that the only one thing, there's one thing that truly matters. And that's Jesus and his cross and his resurrection and the loving Father that sent him for us. So this Paul, this whole letter, Paul has been saying that really, what is really important, what really saves, what really makes a difference in this world isn't circumcision, it isn't the law, it isn't adhering perfectly to the law, it's none of that. What really made a difference was Jesus coming to the earth, going to the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection. That's it. That's what saves. And I will preach that, Paul's like, I will preach that message from the rooftops until my dying breath. Romans 6, 4 through 8. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. Paul, of course, wrote that letter to the church in Rome. And what Paul wrote to them was also meant for the Galatians as well. Notice what Paul is communicating here is the same thing that he ends the book of Galatians with. We are to kill off our old self, the self that held to old traditions to save us, the one that held on to the work-based theology, hoping that there was some way to attain salvation by doing good works or doing a bunch of stuff. Paul in Romans 6 is telling us that we are to imitate Jesus. Our salvation is through Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We are to die and bury ourselves, our sinful natures, when we are baptized in the water. That is what that is doing. When you get baptized, you are imitating death. You are burying yourself. And when we seek to allow Jesus to change us, to root out the sin, the selfishness in our lives, and defeat the power that that sin has on us, when that happens, folks, Jesus sets us free, truly free. And when we are set free, we are free to live with him, and we are free to live for him. Die to self. Live in Jesus. Number two, the people, the new people of God boast only about Jesus. 
14, as for me, I, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. Listen, Paul is tugging at a very, interest, a very interesting thread here, a very interesting string here. He has just talked about how the Judaizers boast about how many followers they have, basically how awesome they are. They love to, you know, kind of, you know, fluff the shirt out and say, you know, this, this is me. Look how, look how many followers I have. Look how awesome I am. I'm great. But you notice what Paul does in verse 14? He says, I never boast about anything except for I boast in Jesus. I think Paul knows people. Uh, would you say that? He knew people. He, he knew what people do. God has given him the unca- uncanny ability to read people, to speak the truth that he sees about people, and also the truth that he understands about the nature of people, including himself. So Paul says, look at these false teachers. Look at how they boast. Well, I boast not about that, but I boast about the cross. I think one thing that Paul understands about people is this. People gonna brag, right? Am I right? People gonna brag. And Paul knew, listen, If I left to myself, I'm going to brag about myself. So I beat myself to the punch, and I brag about Jesus. And when I brag about Jesus, it makes my, and what I'm doing, my achievements, it makes them all seem a little bit smaller, right? People are going to brag. If we brag, church, let's brag about how awesome God is. Let's brag about how awesome Jesus is. You ever find that out about yourself? You start telling a story. Now, I'm a storyteller. You guys know this. And sometimes halfway through a story, I'm like, man, I am kind of making myself out to be pretty awesome here. I didn't mean to. Like, it, was, it wasn't my, my intention, but the fact is that I got carried away with the story, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, I feel like now I'm bragging on myself. That's not what I wanted. And if I do it, I imagine that you do it. And I imagine Paul knew that we were going to do it, and he's like, listen, if you're going to brag, brag on Jesus. I think Paul has done something very helpful for us. He says, listen, since I know that I'm tempted to do this too, I'm going to brag about Jesus. I'm going to brag about the cross. I'm going to cut that temptation off at the knees and simply brag all day long about the love of God and the love of Christ. How awesome he is. How amazing he is. What crazy cool things he has done for little old me. Paul's like, hey, we all know that we're going to brag, so let's brag about the one that can never get in trouble that we can never get in trouble for bragging about. It's why we gather, right? It's why we gather here every Sunday. Not to hear a great sermon. You might be waiting a while for that. 
Not, not to listen to a great worship set, not to see friends and family. We gather together every week to bring glory to God, to brag on God and what He has done for us in our lives. That's why we gather. The word proskuneo, I've said this before, it's a Greek word. The word proskuneo is what we translate to worship. And the literal translation for that word, does anybody remember? Is to blow a kiss to God. It's like Evelyn when she was a little girl. She would would blow kisses to Daddy across the room, right? Heather and I were laughing the other day because um, Heather was, or Evelyn was blowing kisses to us and we were across in a public place and I was like, Heather, you remember that time when, now this is silly because I'm, I'm, but Heather and I lived in, uh, yeah, we lived in New York. When we first got married, we lived in New York and I would go to the YMCA and play basketball with old people because I'm not very good, but you know, I could run around some. And Heather one day was like, hey, I'm going to go um, while you go. I'll, I'll go, I'll go like ride the bike or do something, and then I'll, you know, I'll wait for you while you finish up playing, right? And so I remember I, like, I scored a basket, which is rare. You know? It was like the, like the two points I ever scored for like the ten weeks that I played basketball, right? Um, but I scored, and I remember I blew, Heather was sitting there, and, and I, I blew her a kiss, right? But then there was this, like, six-foot-four African-American, African-American guy that, like, was ripped like a tank. And, like, I didn't realize that he was, like, kind of in the way of my, my kiss. And so I blew her the kiss, and she laughed. And all of a sudden, this guy looks at me like, I was like, whoa, uh, that's my wife, um, sorry. He's like, man, I, I was wondering. You know, like, my wife is, laughs at great length at that every time I remember that. But that's, we are to blow a kiss to God. That's what worship is. We come together every week to brag on God, to sing praises to Him, to honor Jesus for the great things that He has done for us. Luke 19, 38-40, Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees, now this is, this is remember, Jesus is making His triumphal entry. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. Remember what he said? He replied, If they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. What did Jesus mean by this statement? Did he mean that the rocks would literally start shouting praises to the Lord? Most likely, no. The expression, the stones will cry out, seems to be proverbial and isn't to be understood as a literal statement. The meaning seems to be that it is more likely that the impossible would happen than for the king of kings to enter his capital city without honor. In saying that the stones will cry out, Jesus indicates that the people's acclamations should be encouraged, not suppressed. 
The people of Jerusalem are expressing great joy, and that joy is so appropriate and so necessary that if they did not express praise, it would be appropriate for inanimate objects to fill the void. Guys, God has been so good to me. Over and over and over again, I get up here and I tell you about the wonderful things that He has done in my life. I had a boy at 24 weeks that now today runs laps around the church building for fun. God has been so good to me. I... I never should be here. When I was 24, I had a stroke. And the doctor said, there's nothing more we can do. And God healed me. My wife got COVID last year. Her blood pressure was like 260 over 195. It was just something crazy. They did nitro, full blast, drip, like as much as they can give, and her blood pressure didn't come down for like five hours. How she did not die, I have zero idea, but she didn't because God is so good to me. He loves me. He cares for me. If I'm going to brag, please don't let me brag about me. Remind me. How how good has God been to you, Sobek? We need that. We need it. God is so good to us. He deserves all praise and glory and honor. That's the word that should come out of our mouths. If we go and brag, let's brag on him. Number three, the people of God are a new creation. Verse 15, it it doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is is whether we have transformed, we have been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. What is the new creation? Well, the new creation is described in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. The word therefore refers us back to verses 14 and 6 through 16 where Paul tells us that all believers have died with Christ and no longer live for themselves. Our lives are no longer worldly, but they are now spiritual. Our death is, ne- is that of the old sin nature, which was nailed to the cross with Jesus. It was buried with him, and, he, and just as he was raised up by his father, so we are now raised up to walk in newness of life. Listen, the new person that was raised up is what Paul refers to in Galatians as the new creation. New creations 
are selfless, are transformed, are people that bring grace with them everywhere they go. Like Paul says, the new creation are people that don't want, that don't anyone, that don't let anyone trouble us with, with little things. We don't, we, don't, we don't get troubled by meaningless things, trivial things. Listen, the world has enough people worrying about those things, judging each other for those things, keeping score on those things. Let's not be like that. Let's be a new creation. Let's love. Let's be different. Let's suffer for each other so that we might share the good news of Jesus. Let's do things differently. Let's do things in new ways. So that we may show the world why we brag. It's because we can show the world of the great love of Jesus.